Today's show is brought to you by Bombas. Save 20% on your first order at www.getbombas.com slash holyback. Let's go! Come on everybody and let's get to bumping cause it's way to play the time. Baby Ritz City is jumping now. Okay, Brandel up the middle. Hey! Oh, Come on everybody. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 64th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in uh, Southern Oregon, looking at Dustin, looking like a R&B star from like the 1990s. He's looking mad fresh. Got the beard. Got the YMCA jersey going on. I think he's ready to podcast. This has to be the earliest we've ever done a show. Has to be without a guest. Easily the earliest we've ever done. It. Usually it's like 11:30. I'm like Sage. I think I'm ready now. Got my work done. Uh, watching, finished watching the show. You still up, bro? Obviously, the answer is always yes. Always yes. Always on time, Sage. You're like Ja Rule and Ashanti. Man. I'm almost always, I'm I'm ready for the show anytime, anywhere, anytime, but you're, you're making, you're kind of putting me out there with ladies that I forget to text back and shit, so I'm not really liking that, but I'm always ready for podcasting. It's, it's, it's only back for time. Like, Podcasting was, is priority number one. I was excited about this show Thursday, like right after we dropped our last episode. I was excited to do this one because I feel like there's more positivity in the air and there's some things that we got to talk about. So let's just get right at it, man. Things we need to talk about. Um, I don't think they're completely positive. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention real quick really what's going on out in the world um right now because it, it to be fair it's fucked up and sports right now to me they've never felt more irrelevant but also more important and i know that's very contradictory but i'll give you a prime example uh last night me and olga went to the blazers warriors game really had a blast you know the team went on that 20 to 2 run evan turner had that chance to win the game um, it was fun to just zone out for three hours and, you know, playfully boo Draymond Green, make fun of Kevin Durant for never winning anything in OKC and just making fun of all the bandwagon fans. But after the game was over, we were walking across, you know, the bridge and Olga's like, you know, you're awful, awfully quiet. Usually you have a lot to say after a game. And this was a game where we will get into where I felt the officials were pretty biased in favor of um, the defending Western Conference champions. But I was really quiet, and as soon as I got out of the arena, the real world kind of like smacked you in the face and said, this is what's really going on. And I was quiet. I was pretty bummed. Um, I'm fired up to do my part to make sure we can all defend everyone's basic human rights. I tweeted out that I was struggling to find a way to help others in need outside of a protesting um, just trying to not, and I think protesting is great. I just haven't had the opportunity to do so yet. So I just followed a lot of the conversations on Twitter. A lot of people I follow were donating to the ACLU. Um, I myself did that donation. Olga did one, um, earlier this year. So I matched hers and you know what? It did make me feel like I was part of the cause. And this is a very important time in American history in world history, because I saw a tweet, and this will probably be one of the last things we, we mentioned about it. It deserves probably its own episode, but I know you're all here for Blazers basketball, but this is important to both Sage and I. The tweet I saw said, 
do you all remember when we're going through history and we're reading about World War II or the Civil Rights Movement and you said, if I was there, I would be doing X or I'd be doing Y or I'd be doing Z. Newsflash, this is just as big as World War II as a civil rights. Uh, this has a chance to become even worse. So now is your time to put up or shut up and really let your true colors fly because we need every single one of you um, to watch each other's backs. We're all in this together and there is a lot of good in this world. Do not let those bad apples, don't let the bad ruin this thing called life. It, they're going to try their best, but there are people around you. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit Sage up on Twitter. Um, we're willing to talk. There are a lot of people willing to talk about this. Um, so if you need anybody, you know, we're here. I know we just like to talk basketball and you probably just think of us as, you know, funny podcast blazer guys, but um, shit's serious right now. So if you need somebody, reach out. I mean, what you're doing with talking about it just on this podcast that gets, you know, a decent amount of listens, it's, it's, a, it's a medium that, you know, you, you're promoting what you believe in and what's right. So like you're doing a good deed right now just talking about that i totally was going to gloss over it and just talk about hoops but I, th I think it's way more important that you you brought up the issues that are happening in the world and i really love these nba coaches we have right now um a lot of them aren't sitting this out they're not sticking to fucking sports if you are one of those people out there who tells people to stick to their profession fuck you that is my biggest pet peeve, and I'm so glad the guys like Stan Van Gundy and Steve Kerr, they're really out there saying, you know, what the hell is going on right now? This is really scary, legitimate stuff. Um, and then you have Kyle Lowry, who was asked for his opinion on it, and he said, this is bullshit. He said it like four times, and then this kind of probably a little bit pompous reporter said, hey, would you mind saying that without the, the swearing? And he's like, no, that's how I feel. It's not going to change. Uh, if the current administration is able to go out and do what they're doing right now, your listeners can afford to hear the word bullshit. Like, wake up. So, really proud of the league, the way they're taking the stand on this. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers handle this as Thon Maker and Luol Deng are both um, dual citizens of um, uh, the United States and I believe Sudan, um, which is now... In, in flux as to whether it is a, a banned country. So if they do play a game in Toronto, are they going to be let back in the border? Do you just keep them them home for that game? And somebody brought up a point, what if they played for Toronto? Uh, so this is going to be something to keep an eye on because whether you're a no-politics person or not, it's going to creep into your everyday lives. And we're already seeing it in sports. So it's better to get out in front, be proactive, and stand for what you believe in. And... Um, that's all, really all I have to say on that right now, Sage. All right, let's let's get into the sports. But let's get into the sports. Uh, the Blazers had a pretty good week this past week. Uh, I want to give myself a little credit for picking that two-in-one week. Oh, and three was mine. Maybe my best week of picking. I said we'd beat the Lakers, beat the Grizzlies, and have a very close game against the Warriors. Exactly what happened. Obviously, I would have been thankful to be wrong and Evan Turner's three against Golden State would have dropped and we would have been you know three and oh but given the schedule and how we laid it out and what's upcoming for Portland they did what they had to do I, I, th I think that what that what they're doing is just showing hey this is our last stand and we're gonna actually fight for the eighth seed or to be to not have this season be 
a complete and total bust. We're going to we're going to fight a little bit. And what we're seeing right now from the Blazers is actual defensive progress. And I don't know why it took over half of the season to kick in, but it's here. Is it too little too late? I don't know. But if you're a fan of the show or a fan of the team, you knew that earlier in the year, Portland was giving up over 113 points per game on defense, dead last in the NBA. They have made some progress. It's down to 110, which is 27th. I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you've played 50 games, it takes a lot just to get that that one point shaven off. So they've really played strongly on the defensive end over these last, I would want to say 10 games, Sage. I think they've played um, fantastic defense. Uh, aside from that road trip, they played real strong defense. The Lakers, the Grizz, and Golden State. I don't care if Steph wasn't out there. Uh, that game was never in doubt as to whether Golden State was going to get 130, which they have in the past. You'll give up 113 points to the Warriors every night. That's just how good they are with or without Steph Curry. I think I think the genesis of the good defense was Alfred Minu just being back in the lineup, just so there, there's more confidence. Hey, we've got our best guy back on defense. That's when everything started to move around in a positive manner for the Blazers' defense. And speaking of Aminu, what are your thoughts on him? Because I find him to be the most maddening trailblazer because he does give us such great defense. Without him, our defense is terrible. But there are times when I think Stotts gives him too much leeway and he's able to jack up threes where he's airballing half of the attempts or he's taking on defenses like one-on-two, one-on-three and just dribbling into oblivion and he's getting stripped, and there's a turnover, he really needs to be either a catch-and-shoot, or he catches the ball and he passes it, or it's a dunk. Like, he should not be putting the ball on the floor, and I know Stotts likes to give them confidence. I asked you about that earlier via text. I think he needs to, you know, rein it back in a bit, because it's just too much, and it hurts the team, and you have to value every single possession when you're playing an elite offense like the Golden State Warriors. I think we forgot, hey, this guy is very inconsistent after his playoff heroics in the first round, shooting really well. He's always been inconsistent at shooting. It's been the rebounding, and then his step. he stepped up on defense. That's the real gem that you found, because I always thought he was an average defender. Now I think he's above average. So I think you have to take the good with the bad. He's getting paid like something six, seven million. I think eight. You're not going to get a very good two sides of the ball player for eight million. That just doesn't happen. So for what we have and how much he's getting paid, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with the. I, I think they need to rein him in, but he is what he is. He's an inconsistent shooter. Yeah, I think you have to live with it as well, especially giving us contract. I think if you're Portland and you're in Portland's position, you shouldn't be so heavily reliant on a player like Alfred Camino, where if he has a bad offensive night, you're losing. So I think a little bit of well, that falls I think, on Hill. I think it's his role that's the problem. You can't you can't give someone that isn't a good offensive offensively skilled player that many opportunities. So it's not on him. It's on the role that he's been given that's not good for what his skill set is. His skill set's He's an athletic freak that can play defense, rebound really well, and rim run to the hoop. But we've tried to extend his range, and he's fallen back to what his statistical 
averages are from three and that they're not good. One every, once every ten games, he's going to shock and awe us with the skill that he shows. But those other nine, you know, he, he has to he has to be reined in a little bit. But I like that he has confidence, but it's just that green light shouldn't be as green as that is. It should be a light green, it's, not forest green. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be dark sage green. It, it, it's you know, if you're open, shoot it. Why not? But you can't. He he, he hoists up some bad shots sometimes. So let's get into the week that was. Started off with a uh, seventy-seven champions celebration in the Rose Garden against perfectly placed the Los Angeles Lakers. Portland, I want to say, survived a 105-98 victory because exact, that's exactly what it was. We looked like we were in cruise control, up 14 in the mid-third, and then all of a sudden, uh, Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson, and Nick Young really caught fire. Those three combined for 68 points. Uh, that's bench. not. Off the bench, except well, two, for Nick Young. Uh, two, two, two out of three. But and that's exactly what we said. There were two things we thought the Lakers could win. Is if those three players got hot, or if Tariq Black and Thomas Robinson and the like were able to out-hustle us as they did in that, that, first, that first matchup in Portland. That didn't happen, but those three got hot, and it was really Dame and CJ to the rescue. Uh, they combined for 48. They each had 24. Three, four, eight from downtown. And then Plumley also had a beautiful game. 19 points, 13 boards, two steals, a block, just filling up the stat sheets. He was really all, he made himself available. Um, and that's what I like to see out of Plumley is he's picking and rolling, he's going to the basket, and he's waiting for the ball, whether it's on the lob or it's via CJ and Dame drawing the double. And he's just waiting for the dunk. He's not really playing outside of his capabilities. And that's what we want to see out of Plumley. I don't want to see him get the ball. 15 feet from the hoop, the defender backs off, backs off of him, and he has to, you know, hoist a, a jump shot, or he's shooting a a rolling hook across the paint. Stay within your, you know, your capabilities, and I think we're gonna we're gonna be fine with Mace. But um, but another player who had a, a solid night off the bench, Alan Crab, six of nine, each bucket was a deuce. He had 12 points in 28 minutes. Just really nice to see him getting his shot back. That's what Portland thought they were going to get when they signed him to that big deal. Obviously, he's never going to live up to that deal. He is a spot-up shooter coming off the bench, but it's still something the Trailblazers need. And they they found a way to beat the Lakers for, what, the 11th straight time? Uh, That's never happened. So I don't care how terrible Portland is this year, how terrible the Lakers have been. Relish these victories, Portland fans. I mean, Lou Williams scared the shit out of me. I was so nervous. When he was just hitting shots that had no business going in. It was just, we were looking at someone just super hot that day. And, and you like I've been saying, he has that type of skill set where he can just hit from anywhere. So it was just a matter of time before he actually played well because we played the Lakers three out of like the last three weeks, three times in the last three weeks. So it was going to happen and it just happened that last game. But, we rolled with the punches and got the win, which is really awesome just because, I mean, they were paying homage to the 77 team. And did I, I specifically recorded the game because I wanted to see everything, all the, all the highlights and stuff. But Olga and I were sitting up in our section and we see Bill Walton down there in his 
dead grateful dead headband and you can only imagine what he's saying so i go home i'm recording it it's just amazing to hear him ramble he he goes like throw it down who was that and it was noah von lay honestly i used to hate him when he did those games but after doing this podcast for two whole years for reading breaks of the game multiple times like i i've learned to love bill walton and his mumbling back when i used to vehemently hate him so it was, it was definitely a fun moment to to witness as a new trailblazer fan i mean it was so amazing we specifically stayed around for the post-game interview with he and sean lee and i remember as a kid sean lee used to have those all the time center court with like duck buck uncle cliffy uh, you know, Jerome, Terry, Clyde, Danny Ainge, the whole squad. Like, so I grew up on that. That was a a blast from the past, like a great sense of nostalgia right there. And Sean Lee is a master on the mic, one of the greatest voices you've ever heard. But I love Sean's. He just gives him a question and just like just sits back and enjoys the show because Bill just goes off and was talking about how he would get on his bike cross over Everett Street, take the Broadway Bridge or the Steel Bridge, however he felt, roll right into the Memorial Coliseum on game day. Uh, the dude is an ambassador of Oregon, and probably there's no bigger fan of Oregon than Bill Walton. They just put the battery in his back and let him go, because that was like a full quarter of just him talking. Like, I, I stopped watching the game for a little while just to listen to, like, it was more entertaining to hear what he was saying about Mo Lucas and his teammates and how he really loved the squad than watching mediocre basketball. Of course, it was just, it was enthralling. Yeah, your boy definitely took advantage of the 77 night, got Olga some gear. Uh, Mitchell and Ness and the Blazers did a pretty fire collab, picked up the Blazers of Glory coffee table book. Uh, definitely love that because, again, this is our only championship. Whether we were alive to see it or not, it's there. We should be proud of it. And I cannot wait till the time the next one comes because Broadway, the whole city of Portland, every everybody in the state, they showed up. It's going to be a madhouse the next time that happens because nobody loves their basketball more than Rip City, Blazer Fanatics, Blazer Maniacs. We love our team. But Sage, moving on, what? who do you think is the best center in basketball right now? Hmm. AD doesn't isn't considered a center. No. Ooh, Boogie or Jokic, right this second. Okay, I think a certain uh, Mark Gasol is in that conversation. Well, I mean, and it, two or three weeks ago, I talked about how he's winning with bums. I love Mark Gasol, but I, I mean, Jokic has been pretty fantastic the last few weeks. So I think it's Gasol or or Cousins. Jokic needs to. A little bit more consistent. I really think Gasol is carrying this this Grizzlies team. Absolutely. This Grizzlies team is not very good. I know their record is about 28 wins, 21 losses. They have the highest paid player in the NBA in Mike Conley. But Conley I th- is your your basic above average point guard. Zebo still does work off the bench. But I'm going to disagree with the Conley thing. I think he's pretty elite. I mean, he's not. I, don't in think the, he's, I do not think he's an elite He's point guard. not in the Dame tier. I think he's a he's, top ten point guard. Which I, I think in this day and age, with a top ten point guard and a center like Gasol, that is a very awesome pairing. But he's also injury prone. Oh yeah, but 
I'm just saying Gasol carries that team. And when Portland, they jumped out. They were up 16 to 18 points on this team. But Gasol is such a monster that he single-handedly got them back into the game. Uh, The way he is able to score inside, he's really added a legit three-point shot. He shot two of five from the night. Uh, finished with 32 and eight, had the you know five assists, four blocks, looked like the defensive player of the year that he was a few years ago, and he brought them back. Um, I was still impressed that the Blazers put up 112. I'm always going to be impressed when this Blazer team can put up over 100 points on the grit and grind Grizzlies because when we had Lamarcus Aldridge, we thought for whatever reason we're going to ISO him dump it in him, and everybody stands around. That plays right into the teeth of the Grizzlies' defense. And we looked awful on offense. That playoff that playoff series in 2015 was terrible basketball to watch. It hurt my eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the, the whole... I, I wouldn't ISO LA on a, MVP, a defensive MVP. That's just silly. I mean, that the whole scheme is to force it to Gasol so we can... Do something special. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely. We saw movement. We saw Plumley handle it, distribute it to the guards. Um, it wasn't CJ. CJ usually has the big night. It was Dame. Dame time, Lillard time, was in full effect. 33 points, five triples, six assists, five rebounds. And I believe he had something like 13 points in the fourth quarter. And when we needed a bucket, he delivered. That was vintage Dame. That came the day after he found out he wasn't um, participated or participated to to play in the All Star game uh, as a Western Conference representative. And I think it kind of, he played he played it off a lot more coy than he did last year when he got snubbed. But deep down, you know he's pissed off. Yeah, but I, I think he gets it just because of the team's inconsistency. I mean, there's the. The only players that are in the All-Star game that are on shitty teams are the Kings with DeMarcus and AD, but AD's extremely special, and it's in New Orleans. So I I get why. They they, they do need to highlight the teams that are doing really well. So I'm not as as angry as I was last last year. I get it. No, not as angry as last year because we were playing well last year. Uh, what anchors me, though, is there's not 12 better players in the NBA, let alone the Western Conference, than Damian Lillard. There needs to be a common sense factor that, hey, do you think if Damian Lillard probably played with Rudy Gobert, our record would be a little bit better, too? Yeah, I'm talking to you, Gordon Hayward, because you would be the third option on this Blazer team. You're not going to carry the, that Jazz team to a playoff victory. He's just not going to do it. Is he a good player? Yes. Um I understand the Jazz probably need a representative. I think there needs to be some more clarification around what an all-star is and what it means. Is it a good player on a team that's doing well? Because that's really what the the spots are going to. And for the love of God, the Golden State Warriors do not need four representatives. Klay Thompson is not having an all-star season. Draymond Green last night, terrible. I know it was one night. Oh, but had, They had a chance to showcase themselves without Steph Curry, and it was KD. Mm-hmm. Zaza, I was actually the second best, or Zaza and Iggy were the second and third best Warriors last night. Um, so I don't think the Warriors deserve four. It's, uh, they're, they're not playing good enough to have four All-Stars. And by, when I say that is when you have the most super team of all super teams, you should have a better record than 
than 41 and 7, which is ludicrous. They are on pace to win 70 again, but look at their roster. Should be better. Just don't think they're deserving of a four all-stars, especially when life is so easy for them with, with Steph and Katie getting all the attention. I mean, with I know it's tough because 82 games is the grind, but if they don't jog throughout games, shouldn't they be beating every team by 30 or 20? I see them jogging way too frequently. Like, if they really tried, they could beat a lot of teams, but, I mean, the Grizzlies beat them twice. I know there were some odd losses so far. I mean, I don't think that... I think maybe three three all-star bids is cool, yep. but... Three, three. Cl- I would have been fine with three. The clay one was kind of. Yeah, especially when you're talking about guards and, and Israel Gutierrez of ESPN made a good point. He's like, I think it's ridiculous that Clay Thompson is making it over Damian Lillard. You you switch scenarios so you want to reward the Warriors for winning. The Blazers are no better. We're probably worse with with, with Clay Thompson instead of Dame. Probably the exact same. Oh, we'd be way worse. But I, I think but the Warriors would be just fine. You could take Clay Thompson off the Warriors. They still have the exact same record. I guarantee you that. Honestly, I would have. What I would have done if I was in charge, I would have given the nod to CP3, and then with the injury, given it to Dame. The Warriors don't need the fourth. I think it would have been good for the league to have CP in New Orleans. But I, I think Dame should have been the, the, the replacement for Clay. Yeah, I just think when, when you put up 26, 6, and 5 numbers that no player has ever put up without making an all-star team, you need to make it... Um, but again, this is a long time. This is a long list, a continuous list of snubs that the Blazers have had for being I mean, in a small market. Use it as motivation. Yep. And that's what they did. They, they really took it to the Grizzlies. Um, CJ had a, an efficient night. He had 18 points on 11 shots. He needs to get more shots, Sage. And I know we were saying that about Alan Crabb earlier in the season. And Crabb played fantastic. We finally found AC. He was cooking he had 23 on on 8 of 12 shooting 6 of 8 from downtown but we've we've got to find a way to to spread the ball around uh, I don't know if it's possible maybe we have too many guards and that could easily be the case but you can't have Dame shooting 21 and CJ 11 I want to see maybe them both shoot 21 or them both shoot 17 and, and of course I'm not questioning Dame's shot selection he was lower time in the fourth um but I think some games you've got guys like Myers Leonard shooting probably three or four more times than they should. Alfred Camino shooting three or four more times than you should. Those shots add up. Like the, that's eight, six to eight shots that let's give him to CJ. And now he's got those 17 attempts. Um, so I think that's something that to watch out for over the course of the second half of the season, especially with Evan Turner getting more minutes. Um, and especially with Alan Crabb starting to get more into a rhythm and CJ, he's so hot. Like, can we get Dame, CJ, and, and AC enough looks? Because they're the best shooters on the team and really our best offensive weapons. I, I think that we become very easy to defend when it's just Dame hitting. I think what makes the team a bitch to defend for opposing teams is when CJ and Dame are both hitting. That makes it difficult. I mean, that's undefendable. So I, what I would like to see is CJ gets hot early, they, they feed it to him early and often, so he has that confidence to be able to go out there and ball. I mean, we're bringing up the Memphis game, and he was my lockopotamus for that for DFS 
I just threw CJ in. He's going to get me those points. So, I mean, we're bringing up some sad memories because <laughs> I think I got 90th place out of a contest of 100. So my Lacopotamans did not do very well. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think how the Blazers work the best with what they have around them is Dame and CJ just going off and playing well. And, and we see that that's the formula, and it op- it opens up, it opens up the whole floor for Portland. And against a team like Memphis, you have to work from the outside in. They did that. They shot sixteen of thirty five from downtown, forty six percent. They hit seven more threes than Memphis. Um, that was the difference right there. The three point line. Portland used their advantage, and. Sage, I know a lot of people were upset with the Evan Turner signing, but I think Portland dodged a huge bullet by not signing Chandler Parsons, who I think is making a total of like 21 or 24 more million dollars over the course of that four-year deal than Evan Turner. Uh, Parsons, eight points, two boards, uh, 21 minutes. He has been just completely terrible this year. Uh, somebody, I think, on Sports 2 or ripcity2.com did uh, a points per million. He's, he's scoring like six points per million or it's costing them something just so out of the blue. Um, so Portland dodged one. So on one hand, you're like, Neil, quit going after these guys so we don't have to dodge the bullet. But on the, on the other hand, you're like, thank God, that could have been Hito 2.0 right there. I, I think that when you look at the Grizzlies, the Parsons signing in theory is good, but... How much is he getting a year? $25 million? Yeah. I mean, break that up into three legit shooters. I think that team's a lot better. Just like instead of Ty Williams, you got, I don't know, Brandon Rush. He's not special, but he'd help that team a lot. I don't know. I, I think that signing is going to be pretty detrimental to the Grizzlies in a few years if he doesn't magically get healthy. That's just going to be a detrimental signing. One of those unmovables. The best part of that night, Sage, is I'm playing 2K. My buddy Brett sends me a screenshot, and it's of CJ. And CJ, all it says is, we hit the lottery by not signing you. So immediately I'm like, jaw, ground. Okay, what, what's, what sparked this? So I looked at the Blazers Twitter account, tweeted a picture or a gif of Parsons airballing a three. I thought it was in fine taste. It's an airball. Parsons is kind of like our Raymond Felton, Hito Turgaloo. You don't deny Portland. Like you don't reject Portland. Otherwise, we're going to boo you every single fucking time you come to the arena, regardless of whether it was better for the franchise that you're not part of the team. That's just how Portlanders work. Either way, Parsons, you know, probably playfully responded and was like, hey, enjoy the lottery show this year. So CJ is like standing up for his guys. I fucked just ether the dude. I mean, that was like when Nas dropped it on Jay Z. That was just like the biggest. I mean, I stayed on Twitter like watching, like just waiting for that reply from from Parsons, who was like, you know, stop it. I'm the one who won the lottery, which is the weak ass response. CJ absolutely destroyed him in that that Twitter battle, but. That was one of the times where you always hear about these things that happen on Twitter. I was watching it happen live and just the most fire tweet. Evan Turner's getting in on it. Um, The day after was great where CJ was just like, you know, that's my team. Like you don't step to my team. I will stand up for them. And 
whether or not they do anything with it this year, I think that still goes to show that the guys have great chemistry. I think they have been a little bit snake bitten this year in terms of end of game situations and, you know, the Festus signing not really working out. But in the end, they're playing hard basketball. They're not really giving up and they have each other's backs. And I think it could spur something down the stretch, especially, especially, excuse me, with such a home heavy um, record or schedule coming up. It didn't happen in the Warriors game, Sage, but Portland fought their ass off. I was at that game with Olga, and it looked like it was going to be blowout city. I think we were down, what, 20-plus points? It was not a fun experience when we were down 20, but then they made their push. They made pushes. They played good defense. A lot of empty possessions and turnovers for the Warriors, one of their, like, main weaknesses. So they just kept pushing and kept pushing, and they made a game out of it. And I was just shocked that they made a game out of it. Yeah, that 20-2 to two run was amazing. Um, there are times when you need a halftime, and there are times when you don't want it to come. That halftime probably came at the worst possible moment for the Trailblazers because the Warriors have so much more talent that you knew that it was almost impossible for them to sustain it over the course of the next 24 minutes. But to their credit, they fought hard. Um, Golden State really tried to throw a couple haymakers. I know Iguodala had two back-to-back threes, and that's really where you want him shooting the basketball. They just happened to drop. Uh, that really pushed the lead. But again, we fought back. Clay Thompson had what we thought was a dagger three to push them up seven. But at the end of the game, Evan Turner had a chance. And that's all you can ask for. And I saw people bitching and complaining that, oh, Damon CJ should have shot a contested shot. No, hell no. Turner put Durant on skates. He fell backwards. I I was telling Olga before, go for the win. We are not going to beat this team in overtime. Get off a three. Let's get out of town. And let's just win this one right here. They tried to do it. It was a great look. I I don't care if Evan Turner was the one shooting it. I believe he was, um, he was two for six before that, which is 33%, 8% higher than his average all of last season. And to be honest, the quarter three is probably the most makeable three for anybody. And outside of Mason Plumley, any of our guys can really hit that shot. And didn't he score the last six? For the Blazers, he was feeling yeah, it. He was getting to the bucket. He was going to the paint, um, finishing with with dunks. I mean, he was probably our our second or third best player that night, and I mean, easily had, the most confident at that moment. Eighteen points, six dimes, four assists, um, one steal, a plus sixteen for all those you know plus minus um, stat gurus who have been crapping all over ET this year, which I know he's really annoyed about. Um, He's playing well. Mm-hmm. And do you think that this is the Evan Turner that, that we envisioned when we signed him? Whew. I didn't think he was going to be. I think that the 18 points is a little abnormal for what Evan Turner is. But I, I think with everything else, yeah, I think that's what the meal expected when he when he offered him that contract. I, I think this he's not a talented and skilled scorer. From, from with his shot, like outside of mid range, so he had some shots he shouldn't have. So thirty three percent when he's a twenty eight percent three point shooter, a little abnormal. But I think everything else you could totally expect. 
I mean, in January, he's seen his minutes increase to about 29. Uh, He's played 14 games. He's up over 10 points per game, about four boards, about four assists, getting you a steal and a block per night, Um, shooting the ball well from three for him. This is the highest he shot probably by month of 32%, and he's shooting 45% from the field. Uh, We all remember how much he struggled so mightily to begin the season. I really think this is only the, the ascent. For, for Evan Turner. I don't think these numbers are going to stagnate right here. I think he's going to get better. I would look at more of the assists and rebounds to go up. I think you're probably right. 10 to 12 points is his, is his uh, happy space. But if you're looking at Evan Turner offensively, you want to see the field goal percentage jump up. And if he could get to 35% from three, take that and run. So with ET starting... As, as we all know, Vonley and E.T. moved into the starting lineup. Aminu and Maurice um, Harkless went to the bench. Maurice Harkless has been battling a calf injury. He finally returned against the Golden State Warriors. But Sage, he doesn't seem to play as well off of the bench. And we discussed this a couple of podcasts ago. Does this come back to Olshay having too many of the same player? And so there's one, two... Can Maurice Harkless function off the bench? Is he going to be as valuable? Because Evan Turner has showed he's more valuable starting. So is Maurice Harkless. Is it going to come down to Neil has to decide? I got to get rid of one or the other. He looks bummed out every time he's on the floor because he's coming off the bench. And that's definitely a way you have to adjust to that. So I don't want to just write him off saying he can't be the sixth man. But as of right now, like, it looks like we have won too many wings. But I, I think we knew that coming in. I mean, you just look at his performance. Plays 19 minutes against Philadelphia, 3 points, 4 boards. Plays 13 minutes against Boston. Really doesn't record a stat except for 1 assist. He did show signs of vintage Mo Harkless. He had 10 points, shot 5 of 9 in 21 minutes off the bench. That's what you'd want to see. Uh, from Mo Harkless, two steals. He had a, a dunk that he really took at the, the the teeth of the Warriors' defense. Showed some aggressiveness, but outside of that Warrior performance, I completely agree. He does look a little bummed out. I hope he doesn't see it as a demotion, uh, because fair or not, the team needed a shakeup. You're not moving Dame. You're not moving CJ, and by default, you can't really move Mason out of the starting lineup. So. Something had to give. Unfortunately, it was his position. Hopefully, he can learn to play off the bench because we're going to need him. He's young. He's on a great contract. And we saw how well the team does when he plays well. He's one of our those X-Factor players that you look at the box score. Did Mo Harkles have a good night? Yes. I would say chances are very likely that Portland gets that win if Mo Harkless plays well. He is just that type of glue player. So that's another thing to keep your eye on if you're a Blazer fan over the course of these next five to ten games. If the starting lineup continues to stay the same, watch Mo Harkless's production. We're going to need it, especially with Ed Davis cont- continue to be sidelined. Mo could see more of those, you know, bigger four stretch four minutes. And it could determine whether or not either one of those players are moved. I mean, I personally don't want to see Harkless moved, but the production has to be there starting or not. I I don't think this team is good enough to say, you know, Mo, we can keep you. If you're not, we can start. you. You know, that's fine. This team just isn't in that position right now. We need players who can start, come off the bench, whatever, help Damon CJ at any facet of the game. 
So as we're recording, I was browsing the, the forums, and it looks like the Trailblazers are linked to Serge Ibaka. Uh, a real GM contributor, Keith Smith, and before you brush off real GM, that is the same startup that Shams uh, Sharnia came from, who is now Woj 2.0. So they do have some sources. I don't know how credible they are, but I wouldn't just brush them aside. And he says, um, teams known to have interest in Ibaka are Toronto, Washington, Boston, Indiana, Houston, Portland, and San Antonio. So that's about seven teams, almost a quarter of, of the NBA. So it's not exactly narrowing it down or saying that, that the Trailblazers are dialed in on him. But he is a player that I identified on this podcast, and you did as well, quite a, quite a while ago as a potential trade target. One, he's an expiring deal. Two, he is a big who has finals experience, and he provides not only a scoring option at the four that the Blazers haven't had since LaMarcus Aldridge, but he might be our best interior defender in quite some time at that position. Um, and the Orlando Magic aren't going anywhere. The problems I have with uh, any Baca are right now the Trailblazers are on the outside looking in. We're 21 and 28, three games back of Denver for eighth, and seven games back of Memphis for, for seventh. Either of those seeds, you're going to get a ticket playing the Warriors or the Spurs. Likely four to five game exits, and you're done. You're back home, you're in the Bahamas, you're in Hawaii, and you're waiting for the NBA draft while Serge Ibaka is a looming free agent. Ibaka is not getting any younger either. Um, he came in the same draft as Nick Batum, so he was drafted in 2008, and he's only tasted the finals once, but he's gotten close. So you have to imagine that. He wasn't super thrilled going to Orlando. I know he was looking to leave OKC, but regardless of situation, you want to win. If Portland didn't make a big turnaround this year, I know they can offer more money. But at what point does you know an extra 10 to 15 million really matter when you've made so much in your career? When you want to go to a contender and, and actually have a chance to win, especially when you're in that prime of your career. I just don't know if it's really a perfect match. And what the price tag would be because the Orlando Magic gave up quite a bit. They gave up that 11th pick, which was uh, uh, bonus. the bonus, the bonus's uh, son, and they gave up Victor Oladipo. So they gave, they paid a pretty, and Ursan Ilyasova, which I don't know why the, the, the Thunder gave away because as we saw watching the Sixers game, the dude can still ball. So they, they paid a pretty penny to get him. And we've talked about this before, Sage. It's a sunk cost, what they did, but GMs are always going to try to recoup that cost. Mm. What are your thoughts on bringing Ibaka to Portland and what it would take? I would want Neil to talk to Ibaka's agents and see if there, it, it's a possibility that he signs a long-term deal. And if he, if they're if they say, yeah, then I would... Uh, Look to see what assets they would partic- they would want for Ibaka, but if his his uh people say hey we want to be on a competing team that that just that's just the non-starter we're not there right now so I don't I don't want to give up future assets for a, a piece that's just gonna walk. I think the Orlando Magic are in a weird place right now where a lot of trades are more like buyer and seller type of like. We need this. We're trying to compete for the playoffs or the championship. 
will give up future assets. I think Orlando is the one team in the league that where they're just trying to trade for fit now. It's not really winning or losing. They're just trying to construct a team out of the jumble of puzzle pieces that they have. But I, I, I would want to know first thing first, if Ibaka is willing to come and stay in Portland. Yeah, and it looks like Orlando has had several offers for Ibaka. This is, according, again, according to Keith Smith, NBA. But they continue to hold out for a package that includes young players and picks. You definitely, if you're Portland, do not give up your lottery pick this year. And I really don't know what young players we have that they would want um, outside of Alan Crabbin and Noah Vonley. I just don't think that moves mm. the needle for Orlando. On the other hand, he is an expiring contract. Orlando has no leverage here. I, I think they're very in, incentivized to sell. But I don't think we have the pieces in which to actually uh, make a trade for him. The realistic pieces that we would feel comfortable doing. Um, in 48 games this year, Ibaka's averaged about 30 minutes, 15 points, which is up about two and a half points from last year. Uh, his three-point shooting is up 6%. He's shooting 38% from three, shooting about 49% from the field. Uh, seven boards, one assist, about two blocks, one steal which is good to see from Ibaka because his numbers had started to decline really from the 2014 season through the 2016 season. Those last three years at OKC, they had started to decline. But again, contract year. He, he's, he should be putting up better numbers. Um, everybody knows that. Every, regardless of how hard you want to work once you've got your contract, trying to get that contract will always bring out the best effort in players. And that, that's, that's just human nature. I mean, so if we're going to talk about fit for Ibaka, I think it would be very interesting to see what he could do with a... In Toronto. Back- what? In Toronto. Oh, okay. I, I can see that. But I mean, it, we are the Blazers podcast, so I think it would work really well. But I don't know if I'd be willing to give up future assets to compete for the eighth seed. No, I wouldn't do it to p- the sixth seed. We're just not there. I mean, it, it brings up a thing. A lot of uh, people are saying, like, almost everybody's a buyer or a seller in the playoffs, but in in the league right now. But I went through, like, every team and did an exercise, like, are they buyers or are they sellers? There's a lot of teams in the West that are just staying pat with what they have. So, like, for Ibaka, for instance, that trade field is not that big. It's like four or five teams that really could use them. So, I don't think we're one of those teams that realistically could actually have the pieces that we feel comfortable trading and then retain them. I just don't think we could do the second thing. He does fit into Portland's age range. He will, he's 28 or 27. He's not going to be 28 until the start of next season. So he's right in line with Damon CJ. It wouldn't be, like I said, if you can guarantee he comes over, it wouldn't be the worst move in the world, but it's got to be something where we have other moves set up because I don't think you can go into the offseason and then shell out a shit ton of max money to Ibaka and then be like, oh, here's $15 for Mason Plumlee too. Oh, I mean, we just couldn't do it unless we're just thinking not paying Dame his his money when, when the time comes. 
no, Dame's already getting paid. He's already started that first year of his five-year extension. I'm, I'm thinking about that third contract, bro, already. So I think that's a bit premature, my dude. Nope. <laughs> I'm not trying to put up, keep money in assets that I don't particularly want. So Well, I think we can only offer Ibaka four years anyways. So yeah. it would, he would be expiring right when Dame would be expiring. I bet that he would actually, I don't know, does money seem like that important to him? Because he could potentially make a very pretty penny just staying in Orlando. I mean, you look at Boogie Cousins, who's reportedly going to sign that massive new max deal with the Sacramento Kings. 35% of your cap, bro. That's pretty That's a, That's pretty impressive. And he has not had the best time in Sacramento. Never made a playoff game. Went through, what, four or five coaches. Ownership. Doesn't know if they're going to keep him, remove him. Um, but he's staying for the money. And I, I don't blame him. That's a lot of fucking money. Basketball is only a small part of your career. Um, I guess you could always ask for a trade later like Carmelo, but... Oh, you know, you know, you know who's doing, did himself a humongous favor negotiating the CBA the way that they did? Chris Paul. Yeah. He's going to rake the Clippers, take 35% of their cap, and then if he doesn't like it in a year, he's going to request his way out. He, He set that shit up for himself so well. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of... What do, you, what do you make of of that, of the Carmelo Anthony situation? We've heard rumors that the Clippers will not give up any of their big three, but the Knicks just desperately want him out. We've heard uh, rumors that obviously he has a no-trade clause, that now he'll accept a trade to Boston. He would go to the Clippers. He, I think he does get moved. That's a move that's going to be made. But if you're the Knicks, you have to get something better than Austin Rivers back, man. Like, you better be getting, like, three and four multiple, multiple future first-round picks. And you're not getting that, bro. If you're the Clippers, if if I'm the Knicks and I say, okay, I can't have any of your big three, hell yeah, you get those three picks because what are the Clippers going to do? They know they cannot beat the Warriors as constructed. They know it. I'm not saying it's a right trade. I'm just saying that owner, that GM, they know it. They have this core locked in. It, it's their last hurrah. They don't make a move. I, I don't know if it's the right move, but they have to do something. I'd be Whether so that, scared if I was a fan, those uh, uh, like a fan of the team, those rumors for Carmelo. Because oh yeah, of course, your, your team is just. I don't know how he would do with Chris, Chris Paul or. I think the best. Chris Paul is one player that could make him work. I I think that maybe. What team would work the best for Carmelo? I actually think the Clippers would be pretty freaking tough to beat with Carmelo because DJ is really a recipient like Mason Plumlee. DJ is known for his defense. Uh, Blake Griffin and Carmelo are the two alphas on offense. Chris Paul doesn't look to score. Like, he'll do it late in games. So he is the ultimate point guard you want to play with Carmelo Anthony. He'll tell him where to go, where to get him his spots. That is actually one trade I wouldn't mind see happen because I want to see the Warriors have to get a fight put up against them somehow. And then the the blow up will be pretty f- fantastic to watch. Exactly, it's a win win. <laughs> so let's make this shit happen. So, oh man, it, it's so weird that Doc's potentially going to trade his his son for for Carmelo. It's the business, my dude. Man. <sighs> Yeah, it's so weird, but yeah, I mean, 
Next week, I definitely want to talk more about like the buyers and sellers for us. This shit's boring talking about other teams. I don't know. I love trades. It doesn't matter who's involved. You know, it's weird. Like this is the most interesting basketball is is player movements and draft. I think the CBA really fucked up making trades still very restrictive in their movements. The the rumor mill for the NBA basketball is like the lifeblood of the NBA. I mean, dunks are cool, but this player movement shit, like Paul is Paul Millsap, are they trading him or not? That's where the real like clicks are. Like you 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 see like random Twitter personalities, basketball people like make up these bullshit trades for clicks. They should have made the NBA should have made that shit more accessible because I I could have if, if they made it more accessible there would have been so much more player movement but now like teams are just stuck with the bullshit they have like I think the the Cavs are the perfect example of a team that's desperately looking for a another point guard and another playmaker like, playmaker which I think is silly because their defense is kind of shitty when Kyrie is playing so many minutes but whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's take a quick commercial break and get into the next week of Blazers action. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Bombas is offering an opportunity to save 20% off your first order at getbombas.com slash holybackboard. Bombas is an online retailer of premium, high-performance athletic leisure socks for the whole family. Bombas socks have been engineered and designed to look better, feel better, and most importantly, perform better. Simply put, they are the most comfortable socks you'll ever put on your feet, and you'll feel good about the purchase. For every pair you buy, Bombas donates a special pair to those in need, and they have been engineered for their specific needs, and they've donated over a million pairs. Thank you, Bombas, for your sponsorship, and now back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here going to dive into the upcoming week of Trailblazers basketball. The homestand is still alive and well. Portland plays the Charlotte Hornets Tuesday, January 31st, and they wrap it up against the Dallas Mavericks on Friday. They begin a quick two-game road trip Sunday in OKC to take on the walking triple-double Russell Westbrook himself and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Sage, let's get right to it. Charlotte Hornets, they really handled us in that third quarter and the beginning of the fourth. Back on the back on January 18th in Charlotte, they defeated us 107 to 85. Kemba had his way with 23, but it was really Roy Hibbert and Frank Kaminsky that really provided them that extra punch. You know Dame and CJ are gonna ball. You know Kemba's going to ball and Batum as well. But it was those role players that put them over the edge, especially when you're playing at home. Uh, That was their first game back at home after losing five straight on the road. So they were just dying for a victory. Portland's got to play with that same intense uh, and aggression tomorrow night in the Rose Garden. And I think this is an extremely important game. I know a lot of games are important, and I'll say that a lot throughout the remainder of this podcast. But Portland really, I think, put their heart and soul into that Warrior game, that Memphis game, too. We saw a lot of fight from this team. Uh, I don't want to see one loss set them back. They need to just chalk that up as a loss and then try to start another winning streak. 
Um, we've said this earlier in episodes. It's not about you know winning five, six in a row. It's about taking series. So win two out of three. You win four out of six. Win seven out of ten. Start that you know that mindset of we don't have to win every single game, but we need to win the majority of our games because right now time is ticking. We're 21 and 28, 49 games into the season. We have 33 games left. It really is now or never, and we have to take care of business against the Hornets and against the Dallas Mavericks at home. These two are absolutely must-wins. If you are a fan of this team and you want to see them not only leapfrog Denver, but leapfrog Memphis for that seventh seed to give even a puncher's chance against the Spurs, it, it starts Tuesday. And Sage, if you were the Blazers, how would you defend a guy like Kemba Walker, especially when they have Nick Batum on the wing who can really act as a point forward as a shooting guard? He really can play one through four on the court. So if they double Kemba, he can bring the ball up the floor. Blazer fans have seen that over the course of the year, um, especially against the Clippers a while back. So he's able to facilitate as a 6'9", you know, shooting guard. What do you do if you're the Blazers defensively against a, a Charlotte team that really doesn't have an inside presence. Try and rough Kemba up a little bit. Put maybe Evan Turner on him for a few minutes. Like the, the, the thing that we cannot do, we can't guard him because of his quickness. I think maybe try and bully him a little bit and throw him off his game. Because the thing that's going to kill us is when he gets into space at all, he just murders us. And I don't think Dame and CJ are up to the challenge of running all around the court to defend him because the, the 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 Hornets are very creative with getting Kemba into space and attacking the basket or hitting threes. I would try and rough him up a bit, see what see what he what like his mental fortitude is when things are getting hard and the game starts grinding. So So if you don't put Dame or CJ on Kemba I'm just not seeing where you can hide them because uh, they go so big. They've got Batum, they've got MKG, and they've got Marvin Williams. I think Portland's going to have to ride or die with Damon CJ on Kemba. Damn. But it's it's really going to be, I think, on that center who's ever guarding uh, Cody Zeller to he hedge. Was hurt. The, Cody Zeller got hurt. Then Kaminsky or Hibbert, whichever one, they need to hedge and they need to make him give the ball up. We need to start making others beat us as other teams make other players than CJ or Dame beat beat them. And that's really, I think the key uh, to a game like this when you're going up against a player who is so hot, but I think the backcourt's going to play a factor in this game. And I think it's going to come down to, to second chance points. Portland really needs to own the paint. Roy Hibbert is not the Roy Hibbert uh, of past. Kaminsky's not scaring anybody. Marvin Williams is an undersized four. Um, Speaking of shooters who can't shoot, leave Kid Gilchrist open. Make him shoot. Dare him to shoot, just like teams do dare Aminu. I think we'll see a lot of success. Um, if I'm Portland, I really watch the turnovers. Kemba reminds me a lot uh, of John Wall when he gets on the break. He's just super quick, super shifty. He's like a water bug out there. Uh, you don't want to get him going with any easy buckets. So really watch the turnovers. I Like you said, I think I would make others try to beat us. And then again, it's going to come down to energy. Are, are we going to show up? Because we saw in the Orlando game, we got down 18 to 1. We saw in the Dallas game, we got down 24 points at halftime. This team needs to know they're not good enough just to flip the switch. They're not the Golden State Warriors. They're not the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have to bring it for an entire 48 minutes. And if they do, I think they'll win. It's really a symbol that we, we are a better team than the Charlotte Hornets. 
Um, I would take our roster over theirs 10 times out of 10. But again, can we play whistle to whistle? We have the depth. We really need to see it. I like Evan Turner um, to be that help side defender because I think he is going to initially start on MKG and just watch him roam. Is he going to play a little free safety? Is he going to come and double? Um, is he going to come and trap? And then is he going to bring the ball up on offense? Because he's really good with the ball in his hands. And let's make their defenders work Damon CJ. Like, so I would run Damon CJ crisscross screens all over the court. Let's really tire them out. That's my entire thoughts on the game. Sage, do you see this as a victory for the Trailblazers? I think that their bench and role players stepped it up big time when they were at home. It's for it's time for us to do the same. And I think that they do it. I think it's a uh, start of a new streak, potentially. Uh, any potential X factors on the Trailblazers side? Hmm. I don't think the matchup is conducive to Evan Turner playing extremely well. It might be an Alan Crab day. God damn it, you took who I was going to take. Well, you shouldn't let me have first dibs. I'm just being gentlemanly. <laughs> well, that's your fucking that's your problem. <laughs> Uh, I think AC has been just amazing in, in January. He's put up um, about 13 points per game, shooting a ridiculous 51% from the field, 46% from downtown. That's after he shot 52% from downtown in, in December. And he's just really shooting the shit out of the basketball, which is what we need. I think we need to get, this is a, a game where we need Alan Crabb to have about 8 to 10 FGAs. We need to have Damon CJ probably have 30 to 35 field goal attempts as well. Those three need to get the bulk of the shots. If that happens, I think we're in good hands because they are all really shooting the ball really well right now. So let's not bog down the offense by dribbling up top, trying to get the ball to Mason Plumlee and let him distribute or, you know, pass it to a menu like that. The offense needs to start with Damon CJ and everything else flow from it, not the other way around. Um, so that's what I've got. I, I do think we win this game. It's going to be tough. Uh, Kemba's going to be a nightmare to guard. Batum, you know he's going to want to have a good game back in his former his former town, his former home NBA town with the Blazers. You know, he, we drafted him, obviously, and he spent uh, his first six, seven years here in Portland. So he's, he's going to get a great reception. But the Blazers have to win this game. I think they do. Um Moving on to close out the homestand, the Blazers have the Dallas Mavericks, a team they are 1-1 one one against this season. We referenced that that horrific loss earlier this year. It was uh, December 21st at home. We lost by one point. That was the game we dropped uh, a halftime lead. We were down 24 points to the Mavericks. We spotted them 24 points. Um, just wasn't enough. Wesley Matthews had that vintage Wesley Matthews defensive stop on Lillard at the end of the game. And... It was a classic example of flipping the switch. Portland cannot do that, even against the lowly Mavericks. Um, and we've seen them beat this team. We we won, albeit back on November 4th, but it was in Dallas, 105-95. Dame put up 42. Um, Dame also had 29 in that t- December 21st game. I look for Dame to have a big night. The Mavericks might have the weakest collection of guards, especially at the point, in the entire NBA. This has to be another game where, where Damon CJ eat. And I know that's going to be a continuous trend throughout the year, but you look back early on in the season, especially when Portland started out 12 and 10. Um, it wasn't considered great by then, but looking back, we would take that and run. It was above 500. 
it was Lillard and McCollum really putting the team on their back, probably combining for 60 to 65 points every night. And that's how we were winning. If, if we really want to make that push, those guys got to carry us. I know it's not sustainable, but we're talking 33 games left. They really need to take a lot of ownership on offense, which they have been doing. But there were times in that Warrior game where the defense is keyed in on them or we didn't make enough of an effort to get them the ball. And that's really where this team struggles is when we can't get our elite guards the basketball. You know what's funny? I was going to say they have the weakest collection of bigs in the league. Oh, they're just a shitty team. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, you know who I think is going to dominate? I think Mason Plumlee is going to do really well. I mm-hmm. think it's indicative of what uh, that he does well. Because I think Dallas could potentially bid for his services in the future. So I think Mason Plumley is gonna go off. Is Dirk is um Dirk's are Dirk been, and Bogut still starting? I, uh, I don't know about Bogut, but I, I, Dirk's been playing and pretty playing really well. Because I remember Bogut's essentially look for him to be traded because oh, he's, he's essentially he's one of those must trades. He already said he's leaving. Yeah. Um, come free agency, he doesn't see the fit. He doesn't like starting two minutes and then getting pulled and going off the bench because. He and Dirk apparently aren't a good fit at all, but they are coming off an extremely impressive victory at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Harrison Barnes was a surprisingly great free agent signing, just putting oh, up absolutely. ridiculous numbers. Uh, he had 24 points and 11 boards in that game. Uh, but they go uber small. They are not starting Boga anymore. They're, they started Yogi Ferrell from Indiana at point. They got Seth Curry. They got Wes, Barnes, and Nowitzki. So like you said, it's going to be either we're going to get roasted with Mason trying to guard Dirk or they're going to get roasted trying to pack the trying to guard our paint when we've got Plumley down low. Guess which uh host of the podcast started Yogi Farrell in Daily Fantasy tonight. Was that you? Yeah. To prove it, I'm showing up. I <laughs> started Yogi Farrell. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I mean that they're just a shitty team. What else could they say? I think I think that the Dallas Mavericks are actually trying to compete for a playoff spot now that Dirk's back. I think they'd be very willing to trade their first round pick for a talented young pick. I think they would too. They put some protection on it, but that's a team you need to identify if you want to get better in the future. I do have some concerns about this game, mainly because. West plays such good defense. He's looking like he's rounding into form a little bit. He had 21 points um, tonight. But Seth Curry scares me because he does have a little bit of his of his older brother in him. And, and Barnes can be tough to defend. However, I think Dallas going small really plays into Portland's hands. We saw in that Warrior game, Portland's best lineup was really Damian, CJ, Evan Turner, Alfred Camino and Mason Plumley. So if they want to go small, I think we can go small and I think we can defeat them. You're looking for an X factor on the Blazers end. I think it's Evan Turner with their with their small backcourt. Mm-hmm. Et Et can go to work. I think it's potential that four or five Blazers just go off. Like this I, could be yeah. a blowout. This could either be a very close game that we're not expecting or an absolute curb stomping by the Blazers. What do you got, Sage? Oh, I think, I think the Blazers are going to do really well, and Mason Plumlee's getting a, at least a double-double with, like, six assists. He does have uh, 
a career high streak of five straight double doubles. So we'll see if he can continue that against um, the Hornets and then as well against the Mavericks. That's very big. That would wrap up the homestand. I've got Portland winning as well. I think we'll win by eight to 10 points. Um, I just think we're going to have too much depth. I think playing small actually benefits Portland more than it does Dallas. Bigs, as we've seen with Cousins and Gasol, those really kill us. Uh, Teams that go small, unless you're not the Golden State Warriors, Portland tends to have pretty good success against. So I like Portland. That would be a four and one homestand, something that we had to have going in to to that when you're looking at that from you know hindsight about a couple of weeks ago. But then it starts, I think, an important two game road trip heading into the All Star break. Portland's got five games left right after the All or right after this homestand, but before the All Star break, and it really starts with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Sunday, February 5th, it's a noon, noon start for Portland and it's a game they can win. They handled the thunder with ease back in Portland, um, on December, I think 13th, they beat them 114 to 95. Westbrook was really held in check. Dame and CJ didn't even have to play the fourth quarter. And one player that gave the thunder such a great advantage against Portland is Enos Cantor. He punched his hand. Um, somewhere I can't recall right now, but he is out six to eight weeks. So they are going to be uh, lacking that that second scorer really because Stephen Adams provides them with the defense. Old Depot can get out and run on the break, but it's really just Russ now. And with Cantor not in the lineup, I do whatever I can to disrupt Westbrook. I know that's tough to do, but we did such a good job defending him the first time. I think we really forced guys like Kyle Singler, Andre Robertson. Um, even Oladipo to shoot. I don't think Oladipo played in that first matchup. He was hurt. He had that risk. But I would still make him beat us. And I think that's just what Portland has to do down these stretch of games is say, if you're a better team, you're going to have to show it. You're going to have to have a team beat us because we're not just going to let, you know, Isaiah Thomas or Kevin Durant, you know, Campbell Walker, Russ Westbrook. We, you're not just going to let that person destroy us. Let's see if those guys can shoot threes because that's really what opened the break. They, they didn't hit in Portland, and if they do, so be it. But that gives you the greatest chance of winning, in my opinion. Uh, is that the same strategy you would implement, Sage? Yeah, but I, I got to say, man, you, you neglected to talk about Enos Cantor's offensive rebound prowess. That shit is pretty fucking amazing to see him work the, the offensive glass. But, yeah, I, I agree with the, everything you said, but um, that this one, I could see it going one of two ways. The Blazers run off with it, or the Thunder win in a very close game. I can too. I've already picked Portland to win twice. Conventional wisdom says they're likely not going to go 3-0. and But thinking of the mind state Portland's going into heading into the All-Star break, you're coming off a 4-1 trip. You know you've got a team you're chasing in the standings, and they're hurt. They're wounded. Cantor is a big loss. Don't let that fool you. They could easily fall behind Memphis um, in the standings, we played them so well the first time. Sage, I think we get this done. I don't think we're going to let Westbrook just destroy us. And I think we're seeing this team start to turn the corner. I don't think it's going to be as drastic as it was last year when we went on that 55 game win pace when we made the switch. But whether you want to make the playoffs or not, the team is starting to play better. They they have talent. I think they're just as good as they were last year. They've had a lot of things go against them in, in final seconds of games. The record, I think, could honestly be inversed and flipped, but it's not. 
but there's still plenty of games to play. They always get up to play the Thunder. I like Portland to win in a close game. Dame and CJ, I think, are going to be too much for their guards. Cantor is not going to be that 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 force inside. And if we can keep Russ out of the paint, we're going to win the points in the paint battle. If we're going to keep Russ off the line, we're going to win that free throw um, battle. Two and lofty think, things. but Two very lofty things, but that's what Portland has to do. And that's what they didn't do against Golden State. I do think the referees were pretty shitty in that, that Warrior game, but they, they outscored us, or they out- attempted us, excuse me, I think by like 24, 25 free throws. And that was a two-point game. Game gets called a little more fairly. I think Portland wins 8 to 10 points, honestly. So if Portland can be the aggressors, force the officials to blow the whistle, keep that crowd at bay. I mean, it's a rabid fan base. If you can score with the, the clock stopped as a team on the road, there's no better you know, sign of a victory than that. So watch for the free throw attempts. Watch for the points in the paint. And then see what type of shots the Thunder are getting. Is it Robertson and Sinkler and Oladipo shooting? Or is it Westbrook? If it's the former, we're in good hands. If it's the latter, you're looking at a likely loss. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a very close loss. All right. Two and one is still pretty damn good for what we were thinking in like three four weeks ago. So I'm I'm, I'm two and one, that's pretty optimistic view of our team. So And it's almost trade season. Uh, we got more rumors we'll talk about next week. Uh, we'll talk more draft. We'll talk more buyers and sellers as the trade deadline gets closer and we get closer to that all-star break. But for right now, these boys, they're not fighting. They're playing entertaining basketball. And to be honest, at this stage, I don't think you could ask much more of them um, except getting the win, which I think they've they've done. And we'll continue to see it. It would have been a huge boost had Evan Turner made that three against the Warriors. But let's hope we get another chance. Um, against another primetime opponent because we have shown against the uh, the Cavaliers, against the Thunder earlier, and against the Celtics, we can play with the NBA's best. So the team just needs to get consistent. Watch out for them, I think, initially in that Charlotte game. Will they bring the energy? Do they, do they come out hot? Um, do they hold a first quarter lead? And then the same thing with Dallas. You cannot beat Charlotte and then let up against Dallas. So this is really a test of consistency. That's what I'm overall looking for this week. Consistent basketball consistent effort 48 minutes three games let's go blazers um again thank thank you all for listening to this podcast it's so fun to do each and every week um Got some dope if, content coming up pretty soon if you like what you're hearing you know give us that five star rating on itunes um subscribe to the podcast at holy backboard um if you are not on itunes uh we're on google play stitcher soundcloud at holy backboard pdx find us on social um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and the gram at Holy Backboard. And Sage, I got to jet off to my game. I'm going to do my best, you know, CJ, Dame Lillard impression from, from the corner, spot up and shoot. You mean your best Denny Green impression? Either way, I'm going to get buckets. Just like the Blazers. <laughs> yeah, you, get yeah, you gave week. yourself a very lofty first and second comparison. I had to tone it down a bit. No way. I, I shoot well at this gym. I will, I will report back. All right. On my performance. All right, we'll, we'll calculate the PERs and your plus minuses. The PER, um, the real plus minus. You know, we're gonna find some intangible yeah, stats. Your, like I... your turnover percentage better be low, man. Oh, it's gonna be low. My assisted turnover ratio is gonna be straight. You know, Casey Benson. Like, I, yeah, I, I bet your turnover percentage is very low, my friend. Yeah, because I, I, I'm only a catch and shoot. I do not I, put the ball on the floor. I know. <laughs>
I know my limitations. All right, man. Good luck, and uh, talk to you next week. And Go Blazers, baby. Yep.